You're listening to Voice Acting Mastery, episode number 85. Welcome to the Voice Acting Mastery podcast with Crispin Freeman. VoiceActingMastery.com is your place to learn both the skills and the mindset you need to become a professional voice actor, even if you're just getting started. In each episode of this podcast, you'll discover valuable tips, tricks, and insider information to help you portray characters in animation, video games, and beyond. And now here's your host, voice actor Crispin Freeman. Hi there, my name is Crispin Freeman, and I'll be your guide through the world of voice acting. If you'd like to know more about me, feel free to check out my personal website at www.crispinfreeman.com. Welcome to the second part of my interview with the wonderfully talented Scott Menville. Scott is probably best known for his portrayal of Robin in the animated series Teen Titans and Teen Titans Go! But Scott has been working both as a voice actor and an on-camera actor since he was 11 years old. Scott brings a wealth of experience to our discussion, as well as an amazingly positive mindset, and I'm thrilled to have him on the podcast. In the previous episode... Scott and I both emphasized how important it is to have passion for the career you decide to pursue. While this is true in almost every field, it is especially true in the world of voice acting, where there are so many people who are deeply committed to becoming professionally competitive as voice actors. In this episode, we explore exactly what steps Scott took once he made the decision to pursue voice acting not just as a hobby, but as his vocation. Here's a hint. Improvisational acting training played a vital role in Scott's development as an artist. Improv still informs Scott's performances today, as he is often called upon to use his improvisational skills during recording sessions. Hearing about his experiences and the experience of other actors using improv to explore new possibilities in the booth is both enlightening and inspiring. I'm sure you'll enjoy it. And now, the feature segment. So, 18, you, there's this decision in your mind. There, there is this flip where you go, okay, I'm going to have to make a decision about this actually being my livelihood, right? Right. Up until that point, it was something you enjoyed doing, you had fun, but you were still living under at home. Right. And your parents were basically still providing for you. Sure. Now you have to make this decision. No, this is what I'm going to do. I'm, this is going to be my, my vocation, my occupation. It's going to support me, hopefully. And your father said that you needed to study, right? Like right. You didn't have to go to college, but you did have to study. Yeah. So what kind of studying did you do at that point? Where did you start? What kind of acting classes did you start taking? Scene study classes, a lot of improvisational classes, um... Don't think I did any voiceover classes at that time. I've done some as an adult, but uh, I learned so much on the job. I mean, I, I continue to study in classes now, like I said, but the bulk of everything I've learned has always been from on the job. On the job teaches you so much more than anything else. That said, it's great to get into class because you learn and it's a muscle that you exercise and you're around like-minded people with the same passions. Mm-hmm. And But the way to get in the job to learn that, because it's absolutely true. I've, I've gotten on, I remember the first time I ever did any animation, it was uh, ADR work for a Japanese animated show. Very technical work. Very technical work. And I had never tried to match the lip flap of characters on the screen. And the first take, it took me probably seven or eight takes to get that first line. 
but I got it. And a lot of it was because of the training I had already had as an actor. I had so much experience acting in other environments. So what kind of, uh, what kind of acting training did you find most useful when you, that finally got you in the room, right? You've got to get in the room. You've got to right. be good enough to get in the room to learn on the job. What kind of acting training helped you get good enough to get in the room in your opinion? I think all of it. I think learning monologues and getting up in front of people and doing it and doing scenes, getting up and soaring in front of the class and getting up and falling flat on your face. Improvisation classes, same thing, getting up and just tanking and not being funny and getting up and being awesome and catching that thing that you can't put words to where you're just riding that wave of improv on stage. Uh, I think all of it helps. Another thing, going back to you, you told me that you had a background in opera. Mm-hmm. And going back to the uh, ADR dubbing stuff that you were talking about, there's a musicality to things. Would you say that your operatic background helped you on, in that first dubbing stuff? I would say that it would help. It helped me immensely. It um, not only because of the musicality and understanding music and 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 appreciating being a singer. Because I always wanted to be a triple threat. Gene Kelly was my ideal. I wanted okay. to be an actor, singer, dancer, and so the idea of having the musicality for ADR, but also working in a foreign language. As a child, going to the opera and hearing these stories in Italian or whatever, or German, whatever other language, not necessarily immediately knowing what they're talking about, but having to glean from the performances what's going on emotionally without being able to understand the words. Yeah, that would be like dubbing Japanese animation, where I have to listen to the Japanese actor and go, well, there's no point in imitating what he's doing vocally, because he's speaking a different language, the verb is at the end of the sentence, the the melody doesn't make any sense. But can I hear his intention? Can I hear what he's going for emotionally and parse that through what I'm trying to do to try to play the character as believably? Um, so absolutely, the opera had... And it, it, it took years for me to realize that, for me to put all that together and look back on it and go, oh, of course, right. Of course my opera stuff helped with the anime stuff. I, I, that's obvious. Why didn't I think of that before? Sure. All your training informs some aspect of what you, what you do. And uh, just telling that story right there, not being able to understand the language, but seeing the emotion that they're putting out, just proves the point of that old lesson that we all learn about acting. It's not necessarily about the words. It's about what's behind the words. You can have a line and deliver it so many different ways because of the intent of the character. So you were learning that, it sounds like, without even knowing that you were learning that at the time. Mm-hmm. Just by seeing what was behind these words that you couldn't even understand the language to. Yeah. But you could see this pure truthful emotion coming through. Yeah. I mean, these people would open their mouths and these huge voices would come out. My, my grandfather was a big patron of the opera and he commissioned all the critical editions of Verdi's operas and he would have the cast parties at his house. So as a young child, I'm growing up with Federico von Stad and Tito Gobi and Grace Bumbry and these people would open their mouths and these voices would come out and I'd hide under the couch because they were so loud. <laughs> but the passion coming out of them, I had no idea what they were talking about, but it was really important <laughs> and I better listen to them because it really matters to them. Yeah. So uh, you, you were talking about improv. You have a pretty strong background in improv, right? I, yeah, I studied uh, as a kid. I studied a lot of improv and was in a performing improvisational group for a while out of the young actor space, which is was and still is in LA one of the probably the in my opinion the premier place for kids to study acting on a professional level if you look at the who's who who have come out of there it's it's pretty yeah. pretty amazing roster um but I was in a performing group there for a while and then later on studied at the Groundlings uh for quite a while I didn't get into any of the companies or anything because yeah. my goals had changed at that point but I got a lot of great education out of studying there 
Gotcha. So improv and uh, improv, uh, Lord knows I've said on the podcast many times how important I think improv is to voice acting because I often call voice actors the short order cooks of the acting world. Sure. Right? We have very little things to work with. Here's some eggs and flour and bread and butter. Quick, make breakfast for 12. Yeah. You know, and we sort of have to just whip something up off the top of our heads. And so I've always uh, found that improv was very helpful. It's Um, very helpful for so many aspects of what we do in voiceover, whether it's auditioning for something and trying to throw kind of a creative tag on the end of the audition or coming up with a line that can make something better on a show you're working on. Or as you know, you're coming in to do, you're coming in to do Young Justice, which is one of your shows. You do your character and they say, okay, now we have a a crowd scene. Crispin, can you give us two takes? Uh, One guy is kind of an angry mob guy in the crowd and another guy is kind of a scared guy in this angry mob. Just come up with a line and a voice for each of them. Boom. Mm. Okay. And uh, take 65, line 65. Okay, go, Crispin. You've got to come up with lines for these guys. You can't just go, "Ah, ah, ah." (laughs) we're going to burn this place down if you don't listen to us or, you know, whatever you come up with. Yeah, yeah. And and that's the thing is a lot of people think, oh, it's all in the script. And it's like, well, if you're doing Chekhov, maybe, or Shakespeare, but if you're doing voice acting, we're just trying to make a show work. Yeah. We're just trying to do whatever communicates and works well. And if they need you to jump in and help on something, you sort of need to be ready to jump in and help. There are two shows that I'm a regular on right now where on both shows, the the showrunner of each show, the producers will will say to an actor at any, at any time, uh, I'm not crazy about this line. Give it to us as written and then see if you can come up with something better. And so that's where improv comes in handy. Yeah, and if you can do that, you are gold yeah. and you are valuable. And that's what I think separates you know those who get hired from those who don't, is the ability to say, all right, let's make this, let's take what, again, it's that passion for the characters, for the story, trying to make it as good as possible and right. realizing what you can contribute to it. Yeah. Um, and trusting in your own skills. I mean, you've had plenty of experiences where you've crashed and burned so that you know what does and does not work, and you're willing to sort of try something and realize it's not the end of the world if it doesn't work. No, and you really do, as a voice actor, you have to be fearless. You, you just have, well, maybe that's not the right word because we all have fears that come up, but you, you have to be able to push it aside and just jump in and go. And a joke may not land. An yeah. idea that you have may tank. But you're throwing it out there and you're trying. Uh, Kari Payton, who's one of my fellow cast members on Teen Titans and Teen Titans Go, comes up with such brave, wonderful, improvised lines on the show. And two out of ten of them will tank. Nobody in the room will get it. And they'll be like, "Uh, give us something else. But eight out of his ten will be gold and will make it into the show. And everyone always appreciates his ten out of ten attempts because he's throwing something out there and committing to it. Yeah. He's going for it. Yeah. And you can feel the the um, the generosity of what he's trying to do. Yeah. He's like, here, here, maybe this could work. Right. Maybe that could work. Yeah, it's not look at me, look at me, look at me. It's maybe this will serve the whole story better. Yeah, yeah. So let's talk about Teen Titans, because uh, I'm sure many of my listeners will be very familiar with your work on Teen Titans as Robin. I do Robin on Teen Titans. <laughs> so you do. <laughs> um, uh, what was it like when you were uh, auditioning for that character? Um, uh, cause you know, we as actors, we get all sorts of auditions that come down the pike. Um, was it just like any other audition or was there something different about the Robin audition? Well, I'll tell you, and I don't know if you're leading me along or if you're innocently asking, but one thing that was different when I got, we don't often, we don't always get a rendering of the character. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it's just a little description, you know, 15 years old, he's the leader, whatever. And that's all you have to go on. Sometimes you're fortunate enough to get a rendering. I got a rendering and I looked at the thing at home and it was a colorized version. And I said, that's me. 
And my wife said, that's you. We just both had this feeling that I was, I was it. So, and I'm not saying that in a cocky way. It was just some weird message that I got from some part of the universe. Um, I went in and auditioned for Andrea Romano, our director on the first Teen Titans series, Glenn Murakami, our producer, showrunner. And I auditioned for Robin and Beast Boy. And, uh, I don't know if we had callbacks or not. I don't remember, but I wound up getting the part of Robin. So, Mm -hmm. I don't think that's cocky at all. I think that people who would call that cocky don't understand the confidence and commitment one needs if you want to embody a character. Well, I I wasn't saying it like, yeah, I'm going to decide that's me. It was just some... Is, yeah. Some intuitive hit that I got from the universe. I was like, "That's you." That's yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> so, and there have been a lot of auditions where I have not <laughs> gotten that message or felt that. No, absolutely, because I, I I've had an experience like that too, where I I, I was auditioning actually for uh, the male wizard for Diablo, and it, it, I don't play many video games, but one game that I was playing incessantly was Diablo two. And I always loved to play the sorceress because I liked all the spellcasting stuff. And back in that version of the game, you couldn't change the gender. So you had to be the female sorceress. There was no male sorcerer. And so when the audition for the wizard came out, and eventually we figured out, and I, I, I sort of booked it, and I realized, oh, this is the male sorcerer in Diablo 3. Well, of course, who the hell else have I been playing for the last <laughs> decade? Who else am I going to play in this game? Right. The male wizard, of course. Thank you very much. <laughs> I mean, because you go, I get it. Um, that's, that's, where, that's where I sit. That's who I am. That's, that's cast well. And uh, that's going to be the best contribution to this project. Clearly, that's what's going to make the project fly very well. Right. Um, so you, you came in to do uh, Robin, you auditioned, and you started doing the show. And did you realize how popular the show was going to be when you started working on it? No. I mean, I knew it was a great show. I knew the scripts were awesome, and uh, I loved all the dramatic episodes. I thought the character designs were amazing, and our team were all these very talented people. Mm-hmm. But you never know. You've, yeah. been, you've been on great projects that have not gone beyond the initial order, yeah. as we all have. I was on a show called Mission Hill, which was... Uh, producers of The Simpsons. They branched off and did their own primetime animated show. To this day, it's still one of the greatest shows I've done, and uh, it wasn't promoted well and did not last long. Thankfully, it's on Blu-ray and Adult Swim sometimes, but you never know. That was one of those ones where I thought the opposite. I thought, this is going to be running for years, and it it didn't. So, no, I did not think that about Teen Titans. I didn't... When the initial ratings came out and saw that it was a hit, I think we were all surprised. When... when did you know that it had become as popular as it was? Do you remember that moment when you went, oh, we're, we're sort of hot right now? Maybe Comic-Con? I don't know. See, was that doing a panel at Comic-Con? And during the first season? Or? I think so, yeah. My yeah. memory could be hazy, but you know, seeing, seeing people pretty passionate about it. Yeah, and you go, oh, we're, we're, we're popular. Yeah. People are all about this show now. Yeah. And uh, they would constantly ask you about working on the show, right? Yeah. And you would get all sorts of questions about Rob, and I'm sure they would, all the uh, comic book experts would be sort of grilling you for yes. comic book knowledge. And to this day, I'll still get interviewed. Last year at Comic-Con, uh, we kind of did a whole press junket where you'd stand in front of a camera and reporter and do a five-minute interview, and then they would finish, and you'd move three feet down to the next person in the line. And one of them just off the bat was hitting me with hard questions about Jason Todd and Dick Grayson and this and that. And I was like, oh, you're asking the wrong guy, you know. (laughs) Fans know so much more about the history of the character than I do. I know a lot about the history of Robin, but there are fans that are like A to Z, as I'm sure you've experienced. Yes, absolutely. And that's a very interesting point. And I think it's something that a lot of listeners 
of mine uh, should probably understand. I realize that many of my listeners are huge fans of animation and animated storytelling. That's part of their motivation to want to get involved in it as a voice actor. Many times they think that their expertise is vitally important in order to play a character well. Hmm. Um, Except that, when it comes to you, you didn't necessarily have an encyclopedic knowledge about Robin before you came to play the character, right? Not at all. What did you have when you came to play the character? When you looked at Robin and said, this is me, it's not because you'd read every Batman and Robin comic book. No. What was it about it that you that there, there, that allowed you to have that recognition of yourself in the character? Uh, I looked at him and said, well, this guy has no superpowers, but he works very, very hard and is very disciplined and trains and trains and trains. So, okay, what's that mindset going to be like? He lost his parents at a young age. What's what's that like? What's that done to him? He's had to uh, sort of raise himself in a way. Yeah, and I know there are fans out there right now going, hey, man, Batman raised him. What are you talking about? But... Uh, I just approach it as an actor would approach any role. You get the description, okay, 15 years old, this and that, blah, 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 and you just kind of go with your first gut instinct, which is usually the right one, I think. So you're, you're looking for the emotional similarities or sympathies that you would have with this character so that you can bring him to life in a believable way. Yes. Which is, I think, any, what any good actor is trying to do. They're trying to find out which parts of this character match up with parts of them so that they can meld them together. So it's almost like putting the mask on and saying, all right, what part of the mask fits me? Uh, what part of the mask maybe doesn't? Maybe there's an aspect of the character that doesn't line up with my personal biography or my personality, but I can imagine being like that. Sure. I'm, I'm a techie, but I've had to play characters that know nothing about computers. Guess what? I have an imagination, and I can imagine yeah. what it's like not to know how to use computers and to be baffled by technology, and I can try to play that character. I do on-camera acting, too. I've played junkies, and I've played, you know, bad guys holding a gun to somebody's head. I've never done that in real life, but I can certainly imagine what it would be like to be a heroin addict going through withdrawals. Or So when you're coming in for the callback and eventually for the first couple episodes when you're working on Teen Titans, did they ever grill you about the history of Robin? Did they give you a lot of backstory on Robin? The producers? Yeah. Uh, they did not grill me at all. I think they were just looking for the best actors for the part. I don't think they really... I don't think it mattered to them whether the actors knew much of the history of it. That's what they have the writers for, right. to do all that research. Um, and I'm sorry, what was the second part of your question? The second part was, how much of that background and story did they give you before you started recording the character? I, I, remember, not, I remember getting some of it in bits and pieces all throughout the run. Uh, being in season three and having somebody go, oh yeah, in the comics long ago there was this thing about this and that's what that line is. And me going, oh, thank you. Gotcha. So, yeah, I you know I still learn about the guy as right. I'm playing him. And I believe you said, uh, I think I read in one interview. Someone said, "What version of Robin do you have in your head when you're playing him?" And your response, if I'm correct, was the version you see on the screen. Yes. Right. Yes. That you're looking at that character in front of you, and you're trying to deal with what's right in front of you. Not with some ridiculous lore from some long time ago. No. Because you're not playing that Robin. You're and I'll playing... never live up to that. Uh, how can you? Somebody else created that version of it. Uh, all I can do is the one that's in front of me yeah. and do it the best way and the most truthful way that I can. Uh, and I think that's, uh, if there's anything I would want to impress on my listeners, it is that fact that it, it is not one's encyclopedic knowledge of a character that is going to result in a good performance. It can inform a good performance. Sure. It certainly can be helpful. But what is far more important is one's acting skill and one's ability to to look at a story and at a character, 
parse it and realize, ooh, what does this need? Right? What do I, what do I, what can I contribute to make this really swing yeah. and be believable? And that's what the producers are looking for. They're not looking for you to fill out a multiple choice test about the different aspects of Robin. Right. They want you to bring a character to life. It's like we both voice video games. I am really bad at playing video games because I don't put in the time. I choose to use my free time doing other stuff. So when I do play with my young cousins or whatever, they annihilate me. That doesn't matter. I can still do a great job at playing the roles that I'm cast in on these video games. I don't have to be your A to Z encyclopedia on all things video game to go rock one of the roles that I've been cast in. Right. Uh, You are in good company. Jennifer Hale is the same way. I love Jennifer. She's very famous for playing female shepherd for all these years and had never actually sat down and played the game. (laughs) You know, and so they had, they finally said, Jennifer, we got to sit you down and play the game <laughs> a little bit. And so she sat down and played the game. But again, that's I think that's really amazing that it's it's the it's the craft. It's that phrase that I always say: love the art in yourself more than yourself in the art. Oh, that's great. That um, that you know, a lot of people love themselves in the art so much, especially fans, that they um, they just oh, wouldn't it just be great to be in this show? Wouldn't it be great to be Robin? Right? And and, and <laughs> And you're like, yeah, it would be. It's like Cary Grant saying, yeah, it'd be great to be Cary Grant. I'd love to experience that sometime. Right. <laughs> you're not walking in there saying, oh, isn't it so great to be Robin? You're walking in there saying, how can I help Robin be brilliant? Yes. Now, I do walk in there going, wow, I get to be Robin. Right. I do have that enthusiasm about it. But yes, it's how can I, how can I convey Robin's heart being torn out here because of something with Starfire or how can I serve the story in the best way possible? Mm-hmm. Of course, it's it's wonderful to say, oh my God, I get to play this character. What a wonderful opportunity. Yeah. But that's like saying, I get to cook in this wonderful restaurant and I've got to make a really good dish so that everyone can enjoy it. Exactly. Not just, I love coming to this restaurant because I love eating here. We're, we're not eating at the restaurant. We're not. We're cooking at the restaurant yes. and we're trying to make sure that the people who are dining there are having a good experience. Yeah. We may love the things that we get to to cook or the, the materials we get to work with, we may love our fellow cooks, right? right? We may love working with our fellow actors because Absolutely. it's so enjoyable being with these people. But in the end, the proof is in the pudding. Yeah. And it's what, what comes out and what the people enjoy, uh, the audience enjoys, that is sort of where our joy comes from. Yes. You know, oh, I had uh, the, the uh, inspiration or the artistry or the skill to be able to create a performance that got that reaction. Yes. Yeah. Right? Yeah. There's a satisfaction. And to lose yourself in this role for a minute. And that goes to auditions also. I, I look at auditions as part of the job. Mm-hmm. I'm, I may not be getting paid, but my job is to act. I have an audition in front of me, so whether I book this or not, for the next two minutes that I'm doing this thing, I am that guy, and I'm going to put everything into that guy and enjoy it. Yeah, it's it's funny because yeah, it's often auditions. Uh, actors may get frustrated with them and feel like it's very tedious and you have to do all these auditions and put all this work out. And I remember expressing that at one point and saying, oh my God, what am I going to do? And my wife had a great phrase. She said, it's proto-money, right? Yeah. What you've got in front of you is potential money. You've got a potential opportunity to work. Treat it like that. Oh, you're right. That's great. Like, okay, great. Yeah, this is all, these are all seeds I'm planting. Not all of them are going to come up. No. Not all of them have to come up. But it's fun to plant the seeds really well. It is. And the better you plant the seeds, the more possibility you have that you're going to have something wonderful flower out of it. How fantastic is that? Right. Or you plant 10 seeds, going back to Jack Angel's uh, audition to booking ratio, ratio. You plant 10. You don't necessarily book those jobs. But everything you planted on those 10 auditions made you a better actor even for the one that you're going to book. And you 
carry a little bit of that with you into the next thing. Mm -hmm. Often when people first approach voice acting, they focus primarily on the idea of trying to get hired. Students of mine will often ask me where they can find auditions, or how they can get represented by an agent, or some other question related to the practical process of finding paid work. While these are vitally important aspects of a working voice actor's everyday existence, simply getting hired to do a job is not the greatest driving force behind most professionally competitive voice actors. The topic that almost every accomplished voice actor is obsessed with is how to portray a character believably and through that performance contribute to making a wonderful show. Therefore, any chance to play a character is an opportunity to practice and hone one's abilities to play pretend. This means that auditions are equally as valuable artistically as actually booking a job. Remember, auditions are not some preliminary test you need to pass in order to get to the real activity of voice acting. Auditions are just as much voice acting as any paying gig. They are an opportunity to immerse yourself in a character and develop your skills. It is the actors who treat their auditions as seriously as their paying jobs who end up getting hired most often. Producers and casting directors can feel the level of emotional commitment in your reads, and they're eager to work with actors who have passion. A sincere fascination with playing characters believably will naturally lead to more acting opportunities and eventually agent representation. Focus on your acting first and you'll inevitably grow into an acting professional who is marketable to producers and agents. In the final part of our interview, Scott and I talk about some of the difficulties we've faced as voice actors. We discuss the times when projects fell through and things didn't necessarily go our way. It is during those challenging moments that one's positive mindset and dedication are truly tested. Scott also shares with me his final advice to aspiring voice actors. I'm sure you'll find it very helpful. Until next time, all the best to you in your voice acting endeavors. You've been listening to the Voice Acting Mastery Podcast with Crispin Freeman. To get your free report revealing the five most common mistakes to avoid in voice acting, point your web browser to www.freevoiceactinggift.com. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.